Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudman, and it's been a long time since we've done a podcast. I looked just on my Apple podcast app. I'm like, I wonder when the last time we did one was, and it was the Cosmic Conflict with with John. Yeah. And that was beginning of November. So it's been over yeah. two months since the last time we've hmm. done a podcast. Yeah. And, bus- and busy. now it's 2024. It's middle of January. Uh, it's cold here in Kansas yeah. and there's snow on the ground and, you know, we're going to get back into the grind here. Chiefs won last week. Chiefs won. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> One of the coldest games in, in history. So yeah. my dad called me up and he's like, Hey, the Chiefs tickets, they're, you know, they're selling them for like 40 bucks. You got to go get one. You got to go. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. Right there. I, heard <laughs> I don't they really want to go all by myself. Yeah. Heard, heard they were. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I looked at it and they're like, oh, the tickets that are like 40 bucks are the ones that are way up at the top. You yeah. know, there's no protection up there. You're sitting in the wind. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather just watch it on. I got a projector set up so I can get like a big old giant, like 100 inch screen. I'm like, I'll just watch them in my, That's cool. my warm living room. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, we're, cool. uh, we're going to try to get back into the swing of the podcast. And, uh, you know, we've, I was thinking about a bunch of different episodes we could do. And I'm not going to say what we're going to do because I don't want to, you know, have to make a promise and then go back on it. But, you know, we've been thinking about what episodes we want to do. And the, the one that we want to start with, just because it's kind of fresh in our mind, is uh, just kind of talk about what, what, our AFCI National Conference was kind of centered around this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, every year, uh, Ambassadors for Christ International, we have our, our annual conference, the beginning, front end of Jan- January, and the guys, you know, from wherever they live, all, all around the country, they meet, we meet in Atlanta, Georgia, and, and do this, you know, four-day conference and encourage each other and hear about each other's ministries and, and preach to each other. And so, yeah, we just got back from that, and... And Dan, you're the national director, and you you chose a verse from First yeah. Thessalonians that you you know chose as our theme verse for the yep. conference. And yep, just kind of give a backdrop. Why did you choose sure that yeah. verse? Yeah, that kind of obviously segues into some of our discussion today. But <clears throat> I've been thinking about a lot. Obviously, I've been um, you know the guys entrusted leadership to me the last couple of years. Yeah. And we have a unique fellowship that um, it's the guys that decide who they want amongst equals to lead them. Yep. Which with for a term of four years. Four years. Yep. And sometimes guys can get, you know you know take it take on more than that. Right. But but no, I committed to four years and and so you're trying to lead this organization and it's really a fellowship of individual preachers. It's yep. very it's unique in that way. Yep. Um, you know, in a sense, you could say our mission is preaching Christ and glorifying God, but. In another sense, if you'd say our mission or our philosophy of ministry, it really is a fellowship of individual itinerant evangelists yep. who each have their own ministry and responsibility and you know accountability to their local churches and their families. And but we come together in this fellowship. We all kind of feel like fish in water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all preacher when teachers we're, when we're together. Yeah, we're all kind of you know preacher teachers, evangelists, peas from the same pod. Yeah, <laughs> we sort of really are. It's really interesting. So, so anyway, with that said. Um, we span from uh, one of our guys who is 80 now all the way down to Sam who's 27. I mean, you yeah. know, it's in, and we primarily were the older guys, but we're bringing on new, younger guys all the time as we even develop as an organization to uh, to be a place for younger guys. Yeah. You know, as I told the older guys in the past, we, we'd won, won these great games. We, you know, a few of our guys, what you'd say, are Hall of Fame preachers, sort of like. Yeah. And it'd be like bringing a young guy into our locker room and, you know, we're still kind of, Wearing old helmets and pounding half <laughs> leather, leather Rydell's, you know, what I mean? <laughs> and it's wonderful in one sense. The guys get to look at this his, these historic, serious guys that have been about the word and integrity their whole life. Yeah. Um, but you got to think organizationally in a new world, ministering in a new world, and it really has dramatically changed. And so, some of that conversation comes from even a recent thing. Um, what's the name of the podcast? Some Sam Christ, Christ overall, Christ overall, interesting podcast. Interesting. I mean, in the best sense, it was really wonderful. They did twelve interviews. I think it turned out to be twelve. Somewhere around there, yeah. Twelve key leaders having this discussion about Christian nationalism, yeah. and and what and there were a number of things that came out. Number one, how close and similar the guys actually were. Right. How the guys all could, as the the the, the writer, the authors of that podcast um, said, they all know what time it is. Yep. I mean, it's an interesting statement, right? They know what time it is. I like that. Yeah. They know what's going on. Uh, <clears throat> they all 
recognize this seismic shift. I think Kevin DeYoung said seismic shift. I think that was the word he used. But basically, this dramatic change in the last 20, 25 years yep. in the culture we live in. And they all actually were very similar yeah. in how they, and what they're trying to address is how do we as Christians, the church, go forward in these days? Yeah. All right. And so thinking about that a lot, I feel the same way. Like if we're going to have an organization that's going to go beyond this older guys, mm-hmm. and, you know, those older guys can probably, you know, sail into the dock and be fine. You know, we're in, I'm, you know, I'm the youngest of the old guys. I'm 63. And we have guys, you know, in their 70s and 80s, and they still want to minister. I mean, right. no, nobody wants to retire. But the fact is, we are older guys, and we ran a certain time, the peak of our central centrality of our lives, you know, at 30, 40, 50, whatever you want to think of that. Mm-hmm. Um, not that God can't do dramatic things in 80 and 90-year-olds, right. right? I'm convinced he can. But, but you know, I think everybody gets my point. It was a very different day than today. Yeah. And we have to think about that. And so how do you shape a world and an organization to fit into a new world? Yeah. It's very dramatically different. Yeah. How do we, you know, our preaching and ministry without what some people think or what we see some people doing, compromising right. the historic Christian faith. Right. Historic doctrine. Oh, we need to say this differently. And you start leaning into the almost a you know, a left position to be quote unquote winsome. Yeah. Okay. So nobody's against being careful and kind and communicating well, but you can't lose the truth. And so much so many things have just Cave. So in thinking about that, I gave an introduction the first night. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But the passages I was thinking about was um, I did a Bible study this last year in, uh, well, over the last five years in a warehouse with a bunch of guys. And we went through First and Second Thessalonians. And we tend to go very exegetically verse yep. by verse. Yep. You know, it takes a long time to go through it. The guys really love that. They're, you know, in some cases not used to that kind of study. And it takes a lot of work. But I was thinking about Paul in, uh, in uh, Thessalonica. And it was just, it continues to fascinate me to think about God's work there. And get, I, granted, it's the apostolic age, but we shouldn't think of it more mystical than it was. I mean, God was doing something special, but these were real people, real places, real times, right? And in Thessalonica, Paul, it looks like Paul was only there five or six months. Yeah. yeah. And he got run out of there. Yeah. And yet, in time, he left, a church was left behind, mm. a group of truly. I mean, he says, you were, I know you were chosen by God because my gospel came to you with power. Yeah. He saw something Conviction happen. Sin, These were the real spirit. people. He called them the church even. I mean, yeah. here he's imagine it. Within a year, he's, he's writing them back, back. You know, he sent the other guys back to check them out. Timothy and uh, um, was it Silas. And, and he sent them back to check things out to see how things were going at different times. But the bottom line is that these, these, this was a growing um, group of Christians that were becoming imitators of the Christian faith yeah. in that in Macedonia, that part of the world. So, um, so all I'm saying is, it, my point was is clearly he got run out. Clearly, you could call this a very difficult place. Yeah. Even though he was able to establish the gospel there, and so in light of that, um, I was thinking about these verses, and I'll just read them to you in chapter two of First Thessalonians. For you yourselves know, brethren. In fact, he capitalizes on this idea of no. I mean, you guys saw this. That our coming to you was not in vain, but after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. For, and this was the key verses we used for our conference, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts." And then he goes on and describes that as far as being, we didn't use flattery speech, we didn't use greed, God is our witness, we didn't seek glory from men, even though we could have you know, pulled the trump card and said, hey, we're apostles, yeah. but <laughs> chose not to do that. Uh, proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother. He goes on further down and says, you know, we were like an exhorting, encouraging father. Yeah. So it's fascinating to me. And so the question then becomes, is as we think about what time we're in right now, you know, do we know what time it is? Yeah. But then do we have eyes and ears, the wisdom of God to say, how do we minister in a time that's hostile, that's negative, that's, mm-hmm. that's not a positive time. And we can talk more about those terms. Mm-hmm. You know, Aaron Wren has really highlighted those, but though I make the case that they, they were highlighted even before him, even though he's become very popular in a wonderful way yeah, in, yeah. in clarifying it. Yeah. Right. But there were others saying, hey, this is coming. Yeah. So so with that, Sam, I'm just, that's the backdrop. So our conference was some preaching, devotions, thinking about this, how do we minister going forward in the world we live in? Mm-hmm. So so I don't know where you want to go from there, but. Well, yeah, so then you, 
kind of as you're mulling through over these this the, this passage, this mm-hmm. this reality that Paul's in in Thessalonica, our our conference, what time what time we're in, you start writing this kind of introductory essay or, or paper. Well, it was meant just to be a write. Uh, I was writing my notes and it yeah, turned yeah, yeah. into a manuscript, and I'm not used to writing a manuscript and reading it. Right. That's usually not how I preach. And I'm like, oh, this manuscript. And then it started going, well, you know, this could be a whole essay or article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I had a couple people, including you, look at it and help me edit it, some of it, to make sure it's clear. And it's it's basically, I mean, how you ended up titling it is how evangelicalism arrived in a negative world. Yeah. And so that is, if, you know, if we ask the question, what time is it? Yeah. Basically, kind of playing off of Aaron Wren's, you know, three worlds thing, where yeah. mm-hmm. we're in a negative world. It's It's a negative time. Yeah, not a positive time, not a neutral time. It's a yeah. negative time. Yeah, what do you like? What do you mean by that, or what do you think? Yeah, how are people supposed to understand that? What do we mean by it's a negative? Yeah, world yeah, or a yeah. Well, time? you know the way I frame this. If I could just read a little bit of this, yeah, would that be go okay? for it. Good, good segue to that. Let me do yeah. that. So you know, I talked about in the beginning the serpent's tongue deceived Eve. So from day one, we've been dealing with deception. Yep. Uh, questioning God's voice. Did God really say? <clears throat> and then you, in contrast, that would be Abraham who was blessed because he just, you know, it's interesting. He he didn't just believe in God, but he believed God. Yeah. You know, you start looking, you know, do your biblical work here. He believed what God said. Mm-hmm. He believed the promise. He believed what God said. And then, of course, when Jesus showed up, if you remember, he was tempted by the enemy, the serpent, shows up in the wilderness. And it's always a, uh, uh, always a trickery deception to get you to question God, question the Word of God. And, of yep. course, you know, Jesus came back with, no, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, yep. thus says the Lord. And then the Reformation came. We could, you know, speed way ahead. And you think about the Reformation that we think of. And when the Reformation occurred, um, you know, was that 500 years ago? Yeah, 500 years ago. Yeah, 1517. Yep, yep. Is that the key date? Yeah. yeah. 1517. Um, Halloween. I'm sorry? Halloween, 1517. Is that what they say? Yeah, yeah okay. The actual date, good. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, you know, it really was an issue of standing for the authority of the Word of God again. Yeah. There became other things coming in. But fundamentally is, do we believe God has spoken and given us what we need for life and godliness, right. you know, really, is really what it was. And of course, then, you know, he's <clears throat> the serpent, uh, even though the Reformation happened, all these things, uh, and, and he was defeated, obviously, by Christ, he's just continued to slither and pass his stuff. And so you get to yeah. the turn of the 20th century, and coming from Europe and onto the shore of the U.S., uh, early 1900s, was the same, what we now call, you know, what we call basically liberalism. Yeah. Which was not not politically, but like biblically, you know, Christian liberalism. It was it was uh, again um, a questioning of the authority of the Word of God. Right? Can we really trust this? Right. Right. And in your big time deep studies, you're you know you're into this sort of stuff. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. So uh, you can add to that if you want. But the, the one of the big players that I highlighted in in my little quick brief thing here is that you had people like J. Gresham Machen, mm-hmm. who wrote Christianity and Liberalism. Yep. And his point was, is that this thing called the liberal church isn't really even Christianity. Right. Right. And that's the thing you have to catch. It's like he's going, you know, we, we talk today about, you know, the liberal church or this thing or that thing. Well, it's actually not Christianity. Right. Because it defies the word of God. Right. It's an oxymoron. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So anyway, um, there continue to be voices in our, say, our 1900s. Uh, he wrote that in 1923. And so I basically said post-World War II, there began to, you know, a developing response to this apostasy. And it's interesting then, you know, again, I'm jumping through a lot of hoops of history, but by 1967, um, the the response to this against liberalism, yeah. a positive movement towards the authority of Scripture, uh, began to hit a historic marker, and people begin to think of 1967 as the rise, the beginning of rise of this thing we call evangelicalism, Yeah, as far as this wake. And so <clears throat> you had the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s. I kind of jokingly said, Doobie Bro- Bro- even the Doobie Brothers were singing Jesus is just all right with me. You know? <laughs> Not even Christians, I don't think. They're just, you know, it yeah. was like popular to talk about Jesus. Yep. <clears throat> and so the point was, is evangelicalism was booming. Yeah, if you look historically, it's when the new seminaries were all spreading, uh, new publishing houses, contemporary Christian music, you know, mega churches, mega movements, public events, Christian bookstores. I, I even jokingly say even the Christian trinkets. You yeah, know, yeah, all yeah. The little, <laughs> all the little signs and things you can get. <laughs> They're all in the marketplace, right? Many young people entering missions. 1971, Billy Graham was the grand marshal of the Tournament of Roses parade. Yep. Obviously, his his stuff was on TV, you know, national TV. You turn TV on, Billy Graham is on, right? Yep. 
Jimmy Carter was elected as the first uh, as a, as an evangelical president. 1976 was declared by Time Magazine as the year of the evangelical. Yeah. And you could think of citywide community Bible studies from all walks of life would come together from different ecumenically different denominations, and somehow we kind of all got together and hey, it's a Bible. We believe in Jesus. We're good to go. Yeah. And uh, lots of that sort of stuff is happening. And then the other thing I bring up that I find interesting was, you know, maybe we brought it up in another podcast, but in the 50s and 60s, we saw this emergence of young leaders mm-hmm. that were burdened, rightly, about the dead liberalism, yep. about a growing Marxism in universities, which right. I find interesting. Some people don't know that. I, I, I think there's some writings I like Bill Bright has, was concerned about Marxism in the university. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you've heard this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've, I've read, again, I don't know all the depth of that history, that's but the, I've read That's the great irony of where crew went. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's interesting, right? Yeah, um, uh, obviously, a very serious... Uh, complementary passion for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Yeah, there was a really desire. Let's go reach the world. Yep, you know, and that's all good. Yep. There's, I don't have a negative thing about any of this. But all of these ministries developed in a milieu that we have to understand. You know, you think of Billy Graham Association, you think of Campus Crusade, which is crew now, InterVarsity Navigators. They all came about at the same time. And here's what, what I always found interesting: there was a cultural milieu, and in the middle of that cultural milieu, and some people are going to go, "What?" Because when I write this, I go, "Yeah, you got to think about this." Was a guy by the name of Ray Kroc. Yeah, McDonald's. McDonald's. And you say, what? I say, well, but think about it, okay? It's just an interesting thing to consider, and I, I really recognize it when I saw the film, The Founder, which yeah. is an interesting film. They show him both as a scoundrel and as a good guy. It's interesting. The writer of the film you know, had did his filming liberty, but there is a history there that yeah. I find fascinating, and here's the history that I think we can agree with. Okay, so he was this frustrated salesman, and he really did develop this compelling vision for reaching the world yeah. with all things burgers, fries, and shakes. He really didn't envision, hey, golden arches on every corner. You know, mm-hmm. the film kind of portrays him looking at steeples of churches. Everywhere I go, I see steeples of churches. Yeah. And so Ray Kroc's going, hey, what, what would be wrong with golden arches on every corner? <laughs> so he raised a common middle-class folk who could duplicate this simple multiplication efficiency. Yep. Yep. We're going to all do the same exact thing. It's going to be a, an efficient system. Yep. And if we do that system, we can actually multiply this system everywhere. Mm-hmm. And they did. And they, they did. To, they it went worked. to the world. You didn't need trained chefs. I think it's a restaurant. You don't need trained chefs. Well, in the beginning of the movie, it's just all a bunch of teenage boys. Yeah, right. Yeah. And eventually, that's what I mean. I, I call it you know, just your middle-class America with a repetitive process and a menu for burgers, fries, and shakes. And he gave the average person a chance to own a restaurant, mm-hmm. basically. I mean, there's a whole lot of you know, stuff behind that. But my point was it was this milieu of, oh, simplicity. Yeah. Simplicity and 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 uh, multiplication, and let's do the same thing over again. Let's duplicate these these books, these burgers, these fries, these shakes, and we can just keep doing this and cookie cuttering this everywhere. Yeah. And I'm not saying cookie cutter as a pejorative. I'm just like that. But that was the milieu. That's all I'm trying to yeah. get at. We yeah. lived in a time. Well, these young ministry leaders, all over, began to pick up on this. Yeah. Whether I'm not sure they're thinking. Yeah. Thinking not, probably not consciously thinking. Yeah. They're oh, thinking McDonald's. McDonald's right. Yeah. But they're thinking pragmatic models of simplicity and efficiency, raising up an army of young ministers who yep. are committed to spiritual multiplication. You know, four spiritual laws, five hoops, whatever you got your. Yep. Get everybody to do this tool. Yep. We don't need to train them as theologians per se. Not that they don't need, but they don't need to answer big questions. They just got to go out and share the same thing yep. over and over and over and over again. And it did saturate the world. A lot of people came to Christ through all of that. Again, this isn't a pejorative. Mm-hmm. This is just, you have to recognize this actually happened, though. Mm-hmm. And then churches adopted a similar thing. You think of the great Willow Creek that did all these conferences, and you know we got the model for a church. Yeah. And we're going to get that everybody to do this model. Right. And then you'd have well, people Well, come. Bill Hybels, what he did was he, uh, uh, he would go and knock on doors, and he would ask, hey, yeah. do you go to church? And if they do, he would just move on. And if they didn't, he would ask, why don't, why don't you go to church? Right. And after collecting all that data, he then tailored his church right to fit that to fit that right to fit the what would you know what's the word assuage uh, yeah assuage uh, could be a good word or convince or, people to come yeah, yeah, cause yeah. people to come yeah draw people yeah it was very pragmatic and again and it worked I'm, yeah and again I'm, I I hope you hear in the podcast right now I'm not even making a big negative critique out of that personally. I'm yeah. really not. I mean, it's just what it, happened. It's just what happened. Yeah. At this point, we're talking what happened. Historical. No, eventually we found out there was some problems with this. Yeah. But right now, it's just this. Just we have to accept it happened, and that's the point of the conversation at this point. And so the society had a large uh, Christian consensus when yeah. we get to the 70s. Uh, majority of people agreed on major issues of life: male, female, marriage. God was good. Sin is bad. You know the Bible. Yep. Fundamentally, the gospel. Uh, evangelicalism included a very large ecumenical umbrella. 
Christian ministers and parishioners could cross any variety of denominational lines. Even early days of AFCI started in 1972. You know, our guys, you know, they could go to this denomination, that denomination, cross this line, cross that line, because fundamentally you could, you could do that. Yeah. Uh, even the flagship, if you remember, and it's still this way, right? Non-denominational. Yeah. What kind of church you go to? Non-denominational. Yeah, there's like a pride in it. Yeah, it was kind of like, oh, non-denominational. Yeah. And you, sometimes we finally got to the point, well, non-denomination is a denomination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but the point was, is the, the baby boomers, the product of this area, viewed it as a virtue to have ministries that did not focus on distinctions and supposed complications of doctrines, such as the historic confessions. Yep. And uh, like McDonald's, the simplicity of the layman, armed with his personal experience with Jesus and his Bible and the gospel, for in the in sometimes the form of a variety of these kinds of what I call multiplying tools, you know, for spiritual laws, steps to peace. These were tools that were commonly used. Uh, basically, if you just had that, you could reach the world. Yeah. And off we went. Well, it's interesting then. Um, while all of this was occurring, the reality is behind the scenes, mm-hmm. snake never left. Right. Right. He's always been, working. Always working. New thing. So, you know, by the 1950s, atheistic secularization in various forms of feminism, Marxism, which are all anti-Christian, anti-gospel, yep. they found their ways, obviously, into the universities, large denominations, all liberal, yep. and they actually played on the sensibilities infiltrating the black churches. Yep. It's very interesting. You read the history of the black church and how much they begin to adopt Marxist ideas. Yep. Very subtly. Yep. But it was group against group. Yep. We're this group. You're that group. Mm-hmm. That group identity thing is really, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I just highlight, I don't know if we need to get into all this, Sam, but I just highlight that there were people warning us. 1960s, Harry Blamires was talking about uh, in his book called The Christian Mind, right, writing yeah. in, in the UK. So it seemed like at least during that time period, I'd be curious now, but you would say things were happening in Europe, say 10 or 15 years before mm-hmm. they were saturating the popular culture in the US, you know, kind of a... Shaping. So in the 1960s, Blamers was a student of C.S. Lewis, uh, and um, he said there's no, his, his basic summary of his book is there's no longer a Christian mind. Hmm. We had a Christian ethic. Certain Christians know you should do this, not do this. Christian practice. You go to church and do some Christian things. Christian spirituality. We pray to Jesus, sing some songs. But as a thinking being, as a human being, the modern Christian has succumbed to secularization. Hmm. And he, his case that he makes in the book, I can't, I'm not making here, is just that even the Christian, the average Christian in the evangelical church had already been influenced by secularization of thinking. That's what I try to tell people. Not your practice. You look like you're practicing Christianity. Right. But what you're thinking and how you're thinking yeah. is actually more secular than you acknowledge. Hmm. And his case was, oh, no, it's here. And then we go into the 70s, and we had men like Francis Schaeffer saying the same thing. I won't read all the quotes, but you could read Schaeffer, and he was saying the tragedy of our situation today is men and women are being fundamentally affected by a new way of looking at truth. Yeah, and he and he he discusses that, and they haven't even analyzed the drift. And he he basically said this this is this is true of unhappily true of not just young people, but many pastors, Christian educators, evangelists, and missionaries as well. Mm-hmm. And I can't get into all that right now on our podcast, but he basically said there's a shift that's taken place, and it's already happened, and you don't even realize it happened. Yep. And then he says, for a while, this is what I find interesting. Uh, he says this. <clears throat> Once we begin to slip over to this other methodology of truth, we could talk about it's called synthesis, contrast, antithesis. Historic, he says this, historic Christianity is destroyed, even if it seems to be going on for a time. Mm-hmm. See, so you, all your practice and everything is going to keep fumes. moving along, but you're running on fumes. That's it. Yep. The, the underneath, the inside, the guts, which is really doctrine and out. truth, historic Christianity, as I think about it, that's what I always say, yep. the historic Christian yep. faith, is it's not there. So it's just a facade. It's a facade. And, and, and you might carry on for a while. Right. Then he said, but we may not know it, but when this occurs, when that shift happens, the marks of death are upon it, and it will soon, soon be a museum piece. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's radical. Yeah. And he was saying this in the 70s and early 80s. Yeah. That's it's crazy. And then one other one that I brought up in uh, in our time is even you go back in the wisdom of the centuries, you can go back, you know, um, 1600s, 1500s, you start reading these men. Sir Francis Bacon, um, I'm not even commenting on, you know, his Christian convictions and stuff, but he wrote an interesting essay on the unity in religion. Yeah. And I think he makes a great point. He says this. He says, there'll be two false pieces or false unities. Mm-hmm. They're false. The one, when the peace is grounded but upon implicit ignorance for all Colors will agree in the dark. Yeah. And that's fascinating. In other words, 
It's just ignorance. You, you, you really don't know what that person thinks, and right. they really don't know what you think, and you really haven't talked about it. You haven't nailed it down, but you all think, oh, we believe in Jesus, so and we're all happy Christians. Unity, but you really don't. We really don't. Yeah. And as he says, for all colors agree in the dark. Right. And I think a lot of that was happening. Yep. And then the other one, when, P, when, when this idea of a peace or a unity is put together upon a direct admission of contraries and fundamental points, for truth and falsehood and such things are like iron and clay in the toes of Nebuchadnezzar's images, he says. They may cleave, but they will never incorporate. Mm. You can't put them together. Right. These things are diametrically opposed to each other. So you start taking this idea and you start taking things like a synthesis. And one of the things I would say is like a glaring example is this idea of gay Christian. Yeah. Explain explain a little bit more what you mean by, uh, you know, antithesis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, synthesis. The, the ultimate antithesis is God exists in contrast that he doesn't exist. Right. And, and, and you can think it sounds really philosophical, but God made a world where he exists in contrast to he doesn't exist. Right. So you have the kind of the thesis... Yep. And the antithesis. Yeah, and the other one's the opposite. Right. So you could say law of non-contradiction. Right. If I believe A, then, yep. then B's wrong. It's right. like you can't have A and B at the same time. Right. It, it just doesn't work that way. And so justification, this doctrine of justification, coming to faith in Christ, is truly an antithesis. Right. I love this. You know, you've been rescued from a dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son of your loves. Yeah. It is literally a radical change. Right. It is a movement from one kingdom to another kingdom. Mm-hmm. It is a complete change. Now, there's a growth in that, but you don't just say, oh, I believe in Jesus and take an old way of life and attach it to Jesus. Right. But how many people, Sam, say this, many in your generation, you hear people talking like, well, I'm a, you know, some, you know, these guys and gals are all sleeping around and everything. You see these little podcast things where they're talking about these relationships and all this stuff they're doing. Oh, but I'm a Christian. And I'm like, what? No. <laughs> No, yeah, yeah, no, it doesn't <laughs> right, fit. It doesn't right. fit. And so the classic one to me, again, currently is somebody saying a gay Christian. Right. There's no such thing. It can't exist. Right. So now, could you be an actual born-again Christian who's struggling with some kind of sexual, sexual sin? And you're like, well, yeah, that's a different discussion. Right. But to say, no, 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 I can have both. Right. That's what I mean by synthesis, right? And yeah. Do you have some other examples? That's kind of what I think about. Well, I think even just transgenderism is a good example. Okay, like you have a have a you know a transgender man. Like that doesn't make any sense. That a transgender man is a a, a female who right right. Well, that says they're a man. It's like no, that's yeah. Well, we're using the term now. They're trying to change the nomenclature. Always changes. They're saying biological male. I'm like, well, no. There's either male or female. Right. There's not it's biological a male yeah, yeah. versus male. It's like no, 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 no. Right. So it's just trying to combine oil and water, and you can't. Right. And so what you're seeing happen in your culture with this confusion is what Schaefer was warning about. Yeah. That's the point. Yep. And Christianity is based on antithesis. Exactly. It's either this or that. And that's what I'm saying. The ultimate to me is God exists in contrast that he doesn't exist. Yeah. It's one or the other. So you could say, so philosophically you'd say the law of non-contradiction. A is A, A is not non-A. Right. It's either one or the other. Right. You can't, you can't just mix this together and make it what you want. Right. So Christianity is truly right down to justification. Down to everything. It's, yeah, right. It's, it's an antithesis. Yep. So, so the point is, he's saying, yeah, you can pretend you have a unity mm-hmm. when you don't really know what each other believes. Right. Because all colors agree in dark. Or you actually know, but you're going to try to pretend it doesn't matter. Right. You just well, it brush doesn't it under the rug. And... Yeah, it does matter, though. Right. It absolutely matters. And so, you know, what ends up by happening, uh, again, trying to have a little analysis, you say 70s and 80s, with an ignorance of classical theological Christian thinking— Mm-hmm. Where these things were much clearer. Mm-hmm. I mean, the classical, you know, reformational doctrines, you know, Westminster or uh, 1689 Baptist, yep. you know, confession, these are spelled out. Right. Right. Well, we don't need those anymore because we don't need, as I, I say in my article, we no more trained chefs. Right. <laughs> Meaning we don't need learned theologians in ministry because we got our tools. Yeah. And so we just need a passionate young person with his Bible. And you don't need to think about this stuff. And then all these people flood into ministry. Now you got a whole ministry that isn't grounded in a, Christi- a historic Christian faith, as I would call it. You know, right. confessions, creeds, truth that's been worked out for two thousand years. Right. It's just like, oh no, I don't, I don't need all that. We got our Bible. We're good. Yeah, but are we actually saying the same thing? Right. Right. And so, you know, the the evangelical machinery of the seventies, eighties was just big and massive, and it was moving, and so. Who could think anything negative of it? Right. Well, then, in, then I bring out in my uh, my manuscript article that it was interesting because I was a young man. You know, I was I would have been thirty four years of age. 
uh, still a little bit older than you now. So yeah. Anyway, but you, you guys know what I mean when I say young man. And I was at a North America conference for itinerant evangelists. They called it NACI, 1994, hosted by Billy Graham. But I remember Chuck Colson speaking. And I remember at 34 listening to him thinking, that's interesting. He was referring to surveys, and he was saying um, how people in surveys in the country were seeing the evangelical church. And he was exhorting, we're no longer in a positive light. Yeah. It's not good. Yeah. Uh, maybe in some places neutral, but we're moving past neutral to the point, he literally, I remember him talking about the survey and quoting different people in different parts of the study, that we were increasingly being seen as the threat yeah. to a civil society. Yeah. And that was 1994. Yeah. Right? So that's what becomes fascinating to me, literally in the last couple of years, Aaron Wren, mm -hmm. who you and I had on a podcast, on your podcast, yeah. and we talked about some masculinity, biblical manhood stuff. Aaron Wren, is, who is a real, um, what do you call Aaron? He's, he would he actually say he's not a theologian or a Bible scholar, even though he's very astute in that stuff. He's, he looks at social trends, right? Yeah. So I don't know what he, how he describes himself, but... But he wrote this article that a lot of people have picked up on called Three Worlds of Evangelicalism. Mm -hmm. And he kind of documents those years of these changes that I'm actually talking about now. Right. I've been watching it for years, but he's actually you know, put it in a paradigm yep. that he calls the positive, neutral, negative world. Right. <clears throat> and his point is we are now in the negative world. Right. Right. And so you see it, this discussion of Christian nationalism, however you want to think about that, the point is, though, it's seen as a threat. Yeah. The country sees, oh, that's this threatening thing. And... Um, and then I, 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 I quote a few other articles. Um, yeah, I don't need to go there entirely. The Rise and Decline of Evangelicalism, 1967 to 2017, by an author by the name of Terry Johnson, writes a nice little article. He says in here, uh, I like this quote. He says, uh, A more complete collapse of the Christian moral consensus of the previous 400 years of American civilization can scarcely be imagined. Hmm. Well, you know what we've seen in the last 20 years? Mm -hmm. it's just a, 400 years of morality. I mean, we all know this, right? Yeah. You know, the sexual thing, the marriage thing, all of this, it's like gone. Right. Gone. And so, uh, you know, my announcement, my announcement is fundamentally, I kind of, in a joking way, say, you know, evangelicalism is as cross the Rubicon, you know, mm -hmm. it's like Caesar crossing Rubicon. It's like the, what we knew is now gone. Mm -hmm. We have to, we can't think that we're going back to something we're not. It's, it's done. Mm -hmm. So then the question becomes, how do we go forward? Right. And that's where we need eyes, you know, ears to hear. Uh, we can talk about more such things. You know, we can talk about wokeness, this whole woke ideology that really is like akin to me. To me, it's akin to uh, Machen talking about liberalism. Yeah. It's not Christianity. Right. And, uh, you know, hopefully some of your listeners of podcast are familiar with that. But uh, Daryl Harrison, Her uh, Harrison gives a really good list. So I'm just quoting his list. I think he did a good job at that. It's, he talks about social justice, anti-racism, critical race theory, intersectionality, cultural Marxism, black liberation theology, womanist theology, reproductive justice, and that is abortion rights, ethnic studies, gender queer, or gender theory, queer theory, drag theory, transhumanism, posthumanism, DEI, diversity, equity, exclusivity, which is yep. all your corporations now even, social, emotional learning, climate change equals, you know, environmental racism if you don't. <laughs> but all of that, what people have to understand is that that's all part of like the, the, the woke, we use the word woke, but all of that's in that. Yeah. And it's in, and so when Owen Strand wrote his book recently, Christianity and Wokeness, actually a couple of years ago it came out, I know. Yeah. But um, I liken it in my mind, I don't know. Maybe Owen was thinking this. I don't know. I think he was. What, do you think he was? Yeah. He's. He, it's titled Christianity Wokeness, and it's similar to me, Machen saying Christianity yeah. and liberalism. He's That's saying, the point. They're different things. They're different things. They're different things. People need to understand this. Right. And so, so what I've what we've watched is most of our, uh, or let me say, many of our evangelical churches, and many, maybe even most. I don't know. I, I haven't done a full survey, but the big ones that we know about. Christian organizations that were, were evangelistic started, you say, evangelical 70s, 80s, started by some of these young leaders I mentioned in yeah. the 50s and 60s. They've all adopted aspects of the woke. Yeah. Which means, means really, they, they, they've went just like ages, you know, uh, almost 100 years ago when everything went liberal. Yeah. You could say that. Um, you could say by taking these ideas and trying to incorporate them in Christianity, they're Christian heresies. Mm hmm in his, it'll be interesting in the history of church what people look back and see this as. Oh, yeah. You I know. mean, to read a church history book for 100 years in the future, it'll be interesting. They assess all of this. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's and, crazy. Yeah. And so, you know, when you think of our conference, I just, my, my statement was basically, it's this negative and confused world that God has providentially ordained that we live in minister. So everybody here in your podcast, you know, God has ordained your life to live in this. Yeah. And so we have to respond to it. Yep. And how, you know, and how do we? Evangelicalism within many of us were saved by Christ. Many of us grew in this evangelicalism. Uh, our very ministry, FCI USA, was forged in this. This, you know, so it's not like throwing rocks at it. It's going, but we live in a new world. It's a mm-hmm. negative world to which we must consider our ministries and future. Um, and I think, you know, what we did this week is I think we find great hope in our scriptures because if you really think about it, um, virtually all, I, I guess I would have to say all, even Old Testament, these, these, um, this revelation that God has given us in yeah. 66 books were all written in the context of negative worlds. It, that's the point. Every one of them. Right. And so you go, oh, they weren't written in the middle of an evangelicalism where everybody liked you. Right. It's very interesting. So to go there and say, okay, how did our brothers and sisters in Christ and how did God seem fit in right place and time to give us a revelation, right, to minister? Mm -hmm. And we need need to grab onto that. Mm -hmm. So that's what we did this week. And we emphasized, you know, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 3, and 4. Yep. So you may have more to say about that. I don't know. No, not really. I mean, yeah, just to think about how did we get where we're at? I think maybe a way to think about it is we've always, like you said, we've always been in a negative world. So the the idea that we were, that there was this thing called the positive world, at least in our American experience, mm-hmm. it, it just appeared as though it was positive. Well, or even, we, well could, could we even say it was it, it was positive in a certain way? In a certain way, right, right. right. But it was, was bound probably not to last. Right. But I think I think it comes back to you know, peace and safety, peace and safety. If like, hmm. if you, if you, if you think that you've arrived at this, at, in a sense, at yeah. Christ's kingdom where you, in a sense, you're over-realizing your eschatology. Yeah. And, oh, America's a Christian nation. We're good. We got Christian leaders. Mm-hmm. All of our organizations are great. We all believe in the same thing. Yeah. That's an over, over-realization of your eschatology. Christ hasn't returned yet. Yeah. He hasn't set up his kingdom. Um, and so... You let your guard down all sure. the while, like you said, the serpent's been here the whole time yeah. working. Mm-hmm. And obviously he was sowing seeds, he was doing his work, and now we're where we're at. Yeah. Because, you know, it's inevitable because, again, we're, we're living in this cosmic conflict. We're in this battle. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. we can have seasons of, 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 um, a, a type of peace, you could say. Yeah, you could even say seasons of if there were, you know, a genuine sense of revival. I'm not yeah, trying to apply right. that to any one period right now, but there right. are times it's like, yeah, God's got great favor in this moment in time, right? right? Yeah, but it, it never lasts. Yeah. Um, but the point is, is that we always uh, we always have to hold on to that antithesis reality, and that uh, we need to be committed to the truth and doctrine and the historic faith. Yeah. No matter if it's a time of peace or a time of, yeah. of conflict, the truth matters no matter what. Yeah. And I think what happens is, you know, you have all these organizations, well, we just assume that we all agree right. and then we don't have to define ourselves anymore. Right. Why even put in the work? It seems like, it seems like we're just being divisive. And so you don't, and then it turns yeah. out, well, you needed to. Yeah. And now you have a big mess on your hands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like what you're saying because it, it was viewed. That's I, I, I said that quickly yeah. in my manuscript, but it was seen as a virtue. Right. To not make these distinctions. Right. Because doctrine divides. Why yeah, would you yeah, do yeah. that? Isn't we it all agree anyway. But it was actually seen as a virtue. That's right. what I try to tell people. My people my age, yep. boomers, to this day, somehow they think that's a virtue. You know? Yeah. Diversity, but unity, and in the sense of you know, we all are on the same page here. We all have this unity. Why can't we get together into a citywide whatever? But the fact is, we really don't agree, right? And There's it's, lots you know, of things so, we don't it's, agree. It's about. Hilarious with the whole uh, you know Billy Graham and and uh, what was the I can't I'm blanking on what it was called, but when they got all the um, evangelicals together basically, and they had this conference or this this thing. And it was Sproul and MacArthur who... Oh, it was called Evangelicals Together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, yeah. Ca- it was Catholics and Evangelicals. You're right, right, there it was. And that was the whole discussion. Yeah, like, yeah. And so they were kind of coming with a document trying to put it all together. Yeah, like... Saying, oh, aren't we all on the same page? Well, maybe on a life issue or something, but doctrinally... But you, not on the gospel. Not on the gospel, not on the doctrine. So you had, I think it was Sproul and MacArthur. Yeah. 
And of course, they were looked at looked down as right divisive. Exactly, that's you, the point. You guys are narrow. Yep. And it's like, well, isn't it interesting? In a certain way, time has vindicated their position. Indeed. I mean, I mean even looking in, right in the last month or two, the the positions that the Pope of the you know the Roman Catholic Church is taking. Right. <laughs> you know, with homosexuality, I mean, the thing is like, whoa, time out. Yep. So even the historic Roman Catholic Church, which. I don't think is yeah. There's a lot to be discussed there, but well, right. But the point is, is that we're not on the same page, and we were never on the same yeah. page. And that was the whole point of the Reformation. Pretending. The Reformation was trying to re reform something, right? And in a sense, get to the same page. The same page right. being God is there, and God actually spoke, and we have a revelation from God. And the Reformation turned into Protestants. We're protesting the system because it didn't. You couldn't bring it together. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that was the effort. I don't think you know, the effort was to, to try to reform. Reform, yeah, not not be uh, uh, a schismatic, not right, right. Uh, that was I don't think that was the intention. That, that wasn't the intention at happened. all. That's what happened, right? The the that I mean, yeah, but that's what you Matthew gonna... Barrett at Midwestern. That's his newest book, Reformation as Renewal, is kind of all about that. Really, yeah, right. Reformation as Renewal, like yeah, yeah the Catholic Church, the one church, yeah, you know, it was the, a church, the we holy say, oh, apostolic, yeah, yeah. you know, that church has been tainted over the years, and we're trying to renew it. Right, that was the whole point of the Reformation. That's whole the point. So, so it was grievous that it all fractured like it did in right. a sense on a human level. Everybody felt that way, but it had to. Yeah. So, so now you come into again evangelicalism, where we kind of, you know, it all fits together. Like yeah. we have a lot of people who really didn't steeply uh, learn, didn't need to, or whatever you want to think. You know, you say doctrine and creed and confession. I mean, think about well, right. it. Right. There was you yeah, and I were both. There's a pride our, in almost the anti-intellectualism. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you. You. Oh, and I don't our, need to go to seminary. And, and again, I'm a lot older than you, Sam. But we were all. You and I was. Were, and I were both involved with what you know commonly is called parachurch outside the local church. That's how we began our ministries and lives. Yeah. And you really think about that. There was some training in Bible and theology, but very limited. Yeah. Extremely limited. Because it was based, again, I, I call it a tool-driven ministry, a tool-driven mm -hmm. thing. If you got these tools that somebody put together for you right. that, you know, for the most part were theologically astute maybe, right. but just stick there and yeah. just do that tool. You keep sharing that same thing over and over and over and over and over again. You do enough times, and that's why you've heard me comment on it before. I call it burger, fries, and shakes. Yeah, yeah. So you have these peer people that do, and they say, well, I'm a missionary, I'm in ministry. And you're like, okay, you can do burgers, fries, and shakes, but you're not a chef. Right. And so if you go into a certain setting that has all sorts of diversity, meaning tougher questions, right. different views, variations, all these things that need to be addressed, you need somebody who's been trained theologically, biblically, apologetics to a degree. You, and, and you, you need to know the arguments. Kind of to break down your analogy a little bit is yeah. like, okay, yeah, you can you have this, this pre-patty burger and you throw it on the grill and you have this bun already that you pull yeah. out of the package and you have this piece of cheese. Yeah. Like... Do you know how to actually take a a, a cow and, and and butcher it and, and and break it up and grind the to get that burger patty? Do you actually yeah. know how to take wheat and grind it yeah. and and actually make a bun out of it? Do you actually know how to how to take milk and make cheese out of it? Do you know how you got to burgers, fries, and shakes? Right. I mean, you just assume that oh, I have this tool, right? But there was people that were brilliant that knew their their Bibles and knew theology and did all the work to get you this tool, right? And if you just stick with the tool, well, why does point one say what it does? Right. What's behind that? Right. And so, again, you know, it had its place in time, you know, I say I suppose, but it did. But, again, it we we moved in pretty quickly in a few decades into a world where yeah. there's more to it than that. Right. A lot more to it than that. So right. you need to train and equip people. Now, that begs the question, how do you, how do, you do that? Like with AFCI, we've had this discussion. We never see the work that we're part of right. as being this massive burger, fries, and shakes. Right. I don't, I don't ever, I, I, you know, as we even develop organizationally, we're not, we're not gearing ourselves up to be this thing with, you know, dozens and dozens, hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're very content being a fellowship of just a, you know, I don't know what, I don't even know, you want to put a number with it. Eight, right. eight 10, 15, 20 right. preachers. Right. And we're good. Right. We're good. Like, we're, we're a bunch of chefs. We're a bunch of trained men who go out in the world and have individual, unique places that yep. God uses us to preach and teach the word. You know, uh, revival in the church, evangelism through the church, training for the church. We want to minister to the church. We yep. want to bring renewal to the church, revival to the church, if God would see that fit on the big scheme. But... 
bringing doctrine and preaching and teaching where where we have a space and evangelism and any kind of training and that training i mean that happens all in lots of different settings but we bring a biblical training to the church yeah right to and so it's an interesting conversation for sure so part of it too i know that you've you've said like uh as we move forward as an organization we have to think about well a guy like me who you know a lot younger than you older guys i'm i'm looking forward and thinking well this is just this is what i'm this is what i know i i know the negative world that's what i grew, grew yeah, up right in. right right and 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 i know that i need some clearly defined positions because i know that if we don't have a position or yeah. if we don't you know even having writing and bylaws or a constitution or whatever a statement of faith that hey this is what we believe about sexuality and yeah. gender that's not written down well guess what i know that somebody could come in yep. and sign your statement of faith, but also come out as gay, you know, a week later, and and then and then we fire them, and they go, wait a minute, yeah, you can't do that, and now you have a whole lawsuit on your on your hands and a big old yep. problem because you were assuming that you didn't have to draw lines. Yep, that's great. That's a great point, Sam. Those are things we have to be thinking right. about. Right, and, and and you're right. We we were much much more able in a ministry, even like AFCI. Uh, to have, I mean, we have a, we have a strong doctrinal statement, but we didn't have all of those things spelled out. Right, didn't have to. It was, Barely it, anybody did. No, right. And so there becomes this question at some point: Do you, what, how many things do you have to spell out? Yeah, yeah. You know, to what degree? You know, it's interesting. Uh, in the you know the early church, as you're getting into the second, third century. Yeah. You know, you had a, you had converts initially, Jewish converts, where. They already they were were already instructed in you know the Old Testament the sure. Law of the Prophets yep, yep. and they had uh, obviously a, a, a good basis to understand what was yeah, going a on worldview yeah yep. a grid yep and and as soon as you you started to see Gentile pagans come to faith mm-hmm. the the early church leaders the church fathers realized this need for instruction yeah and so they started what are called catechetical schools yeah yeah catechism and, yeah. yeah catechism. Yeah, and and usually, if you were if you were a new convert, you would have to go yeah. to this school for at least two years to get training in the Christian faith, because you have you have no basis. You were right. you were saved out of paganism. You weren't saved out of Judaism. Right. And so, it seems like a similar thing today. We yeah. we um, <laughs> our our morality, our 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 view of the world is so contrary to the biblical worldview. Yeah. That if we just assume, well, okay. You're saved, you made a profession, and we don't need to instruct you on what that even means and, and what to believe. Well, that's a problem. So all the more that in this in this negative world we need to we need to make sure that people know you know why they believe what yeah. they believe. Oh, it's important. You know, I have a, another good friend of mine that says it, you know, ministers to a lot of college students. Let's see if I get it right. He talks about the they have a cake. He thinks of it as a cake. They have a cake, a belief system. Okay. Yep. And then they come with Jesus as like the frosting, and they think they take the frosting and put it on the cake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't realize, go back to synthesis to have a lot of discussion, yeah. the whole cake's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you, you believe all cake. sorts of things here that are secular and wrong, and yeah. you're trying to take Jesus and attach it exactly. to it. Exactly. And it doesn't work that way. Yep. No, 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 no. You have to deprogram. You know, decon- you want to talk about deconstruction. Yeah. You have to have a complete transformation of your mind. Yeah. Starting with, you know, what we talk about a lot, kind of, the, you know, drum I'm always beating. You have to start with who God is. Yeah, exactly. You have to start with the doctrine of God. Who is God? Mm-hmm. And then, then, and then tied to that, I don't think you can separate it and you don't see it in your systematics and all sorts of things. Tied with that is that because of who God is, he communicated. Mm-hmm. You know, so then it goes to revelation. How do we know God communicated with us, which you could say, is now, you know, the scriptures, the authority of, of the yeah. Word of God. But those two, I don't think you can separate those. Right. And that's why theology, uh, properly defined, is is really the study of God and all things in relation to him. Okay, good. That's how they say it? Yep. That's how you guys are saying so, it? So, yeah. yeah. We say theology proper. Yep, right. That's the doctrine of God. Right. And then every other doctrine, every other theology yeah. is in relation to that. Exactly. And so if that's wrong... See, see and this, oh, Sam, this is the stuff I've been having conversations. Maybe you heard me say it. Well, I did. I said it this last week, and I preached a couple times at our conference, is, you know, people have this issue with the authority of the Word of God, but if you dig long enough, you realize the reason they have an issue with the authority Word of God is because they actually have an errant view of the doctrine of God, of yeah, who God is. Exactly. Because if you get who God is, mm-hmm. uh, God has a complete capacity to get us His Word, folks. Yep. 
We can have all sorts of discussions about translations and how this got written and right. all day long. But at some point, you got to realize if God is God and he wants to communicate with us, does he not have the complete capacity to do that? Yeah. Are you saying that he's sitting there going, oops, this got wrong? <laughs> That's what I tell him to think about it. That's what you're actually saying to me. Yeah. Well, we can't really trust that God's spoken to us. Well, that's actually saying something about God. Yeah. Right. So you got to get the doctrine of God right first. And you said last week in your preaching, maybe we can come back to a few of the messages we preach just to talk about them. I think it'd be great, Sam. But but bad theology breeds bad, bad methodology. Yep. And obviously, the obviously right? Yep. Get, we get our theology right. You get theology proper right. It actually sets up how we should minister. Minister. Yep. And we got there in our conference. We talked to some about that. Yep. Exactly. That at the end, Paul's talking about even his methods, but he started with who God was. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the gospel of God. We're yeah, it's true. The boldness of God. It's the omniscience of God. I'm examined by God. I've been entrusted by God. This all has to do with the backdrop of who God is. Mm-hmm. And then from that, he says, okay, this is how we minister to you. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Yep. Right? Orthodoxy yep. leads to orthopraxy. Yep. So we'll end there. Um, so thanks for listening to the Preach and Persuade podcast. Uh, hopefully you didn't totally forget about us because we've been off for a couple months, but we're going to be regular again. So, again, as I always say, if you if you enjoy this podcast, send it to a friend. Uh, we don't do a lot of marketing stuff, so basically the way that we get new listeners is by people just sharing it with friends, just yep. being you know marketers for us. Cool. Uh, leave a rating on a Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Write a description or I mean a review if you want to. Uh, but thanks again for listening and have a great day. Bye. Thank you.